0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Although this week we do not have Jorna Taylor, Jorna is on vacation in Arizona and she is missing one heck of an exciting week, uh, or at least historic week. Uh, but we do have Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome Robert. Good morning everyone. So we are recording Friday, uh, which is about a, which is a day later than we normally record, and so to our podcast listeners, we apologize if you didn't find us uh, bright and early Friday morning, but we wanted to be able to talk a little bit more coherently about what is the latest that's been happening around the efforts by Paul Ryan and House Republicans to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act with something that appears to uh, be a bit of a moving target. And so we're gonna spend some time today uh, talking about some of the changes that just happened on Thursday uh, in an effort to uh, get conservative Republicans to support the bill. Um, We're gonna have a long conversation with Robert about some of those details. But to set the stage, obviously, uh, the historic vote that was supposed to occur on Thursday on the seventh anniversary of the Affordable Care Act, uh, did not happen. Uh, A fissure between, essentially, the conservatives and the Freedom Caucus, Paul Ryan, and uh, moderates uh, such as they are in the House. I don't know that there really are too many moderates, but essentially the Freedom Caucus bolting. And so that led to a series of negotiations with Trump and uh, leadership and some changes. So, Robert, I'm going to ask you to... Tell us a little bit more about what is fundamentally changed, so what they may be voting on later today, again, Friday, um, and then what might be going to the House. So what are the key
1: changes uh, to to this uh, bill? Well, the biggest change is to what's called essential benefits, which sounds just like some sort of generic term. How come I've never heard that term in this whole debate before, Robert? Because, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> but... So you have this whole thing, right? Uh, but essential benefits are essentially the things that are have to be covered by all health insurance, okay? So we're literally talking about doctor care, hospital care, emergency room care, prescription drugs, uh, substance abuse care, mental health care, preventive care, maturity care, all of those things. And yep. those 10 things are all required, there are 10 of them. and and everything underneath them that's essential, right, because they're general categories, have to be in all health insurance plans. And so apparently the price for passage, potentially, though they still didn't agree Thursday night, uh, from the Freedom Caucus, or the so-called Freedom Caucus, we should call them, was to eliminate these. Now, they're going to probably try to thread a needle with moderates and say, oh, the states will do them, right? And so that will be the back and forth if this goes to the Senate. Um, But the implications are very stark. Not only do you end up with substandard Lemon plans, they've already... Uh, gotten rid of the requirement that health insurance has to pay at least 60% of the general cost of health care. It's called the actuarial value. That's already in this, so we already are cheapening the health care benefit. Now we can have a lot of other things excluded by the insurance companies in complicated policies where certainly even health care experts, low average consumers, won't know really what's missing from their policy until they actually try to use it. Uh, But it actually is a backdoor way to reintroduce pre-existing condition discrimination uh, because now they can design these policies so that people who have expensive conditions simply won't get uh, the coverage they need uh, when they need it. And so you don't have to deny them coverage. You simply have to deny them uh, the, the costly medical care that the insurance industry prefers not to pay for.
0: And, Robert, this is a really, really important point. Because if I'm correct and you're the expert in this, pre-existing conditions is one of the number one reasons why we had the Affordable Care Act in the in the first place, this discrimination against pre-existing conditions. So this is, they've actually with these changes really gone to some of the heart of the reason why we even needed uh, to, to, to go forward with health care reform in the first place. So this is a big deal. This is a fundamental change in what Ryan Care was earlier
1: this week. And it's one of the things. Uh, that Republicans have promised they wouldn't do, up and down, because it is seen by most people as a violation of fundamental freedom, that you literally have a pre-existing condition and you can't get medical care, right? And so they've been promising this up and down. So it's been a bait and switch all along, but it's getting worse. The premiums were bad enough. This is worse. Remember, the other element of this was lifetime and annual limits where literally... You get really sick and, oh, you're out of coverage. You hit the $100,000 for the year. Well, those were tied in the Affordable Care Act to the essential health benefits, So, in the essential benefits. So by repealing them, you repeal lifetime and annual limits as well. So if you combine that with the ability of insurance companies to use all of the accountants and experts they have at their disposal to – to kind of engineer these policies not to cover anything expensive, then you have you're back to the old days, the bad old days, the wild wild west, where kind of people are not getting vital cancer care when they get cancer, going medically bankrupt when they get a major when, when there's a major accident, disease or illness, and they don't even know it until they try to use these worthless pol not worthless but these policies that are designed to benefit insurance uh, conglomerates and not average consumers.
0: Well, I mean, well. And you you bring up that point about who this is to benefit. Let's be clear. We we do call this a health care plan, but, I mean, this really is essentially a bill that transfers a lot of health care and resources to regular people, to millionaires and billionaires in terms of the the financing and the tax cuts that will go with this. So this has a lot
1: less to do with health care, actually. I mean, really, who knew that the policies were too good? I mean, they act like the Affordable Care Act uh, demands plans that are some sort of Rolls Royce plans, and it doesn't. I mean, a bronze plan covers 60% of of medical costs, but makes them cover all essential Medicare that human beings might need. You know, we all have. You hear Secretary Tom Price, Trump's health secretary, talk about how everyone's different. He says with with his with his twang, his Georgia twang, right? You're different than the person next to you, so you need different coverage, right? Like, we don't all have hearts and lungs and uh, and all the other elements of, of human physiology. And it's uh, this is what he means by that. And it's absolutely absurd. And the idea that you are free to choose the plan that helps you is also complete hocus-pocus because we know the insurance industry will create very complicated policies, right? which people cannot understand, not even health experts, until they try to actually file a claim. And good luck filing the claim when you have a major accident or illness. They'll find some way, oh, no, 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 this happened, this happened, and therefore this isn't covered. That's what we're talking about here. Well, and... Let's, I want to unpack a little bit about
0: what the Freedom Caucus and the conservatives are saying, I mean, because our listeners may be hearing this a lot on Friday, and, and you're going to hear a lot of them talking about how, if especially if they end up voting for this, that what got them to move is that they feel that this was able to get down premiums. It's important to understand that that is a false, ridiculous goal, because as you said, Robert, the reason they're able to get the premiums down is because they'll no longer need to have these essential services. So the idea that that should be our goal, completely fraudulent, and back to what if people are going to be contacting, let's say over the weekend, or if you're listening and hearing this on Sunday on 1510 and you're going to be contacting, say, your senator next week, the key thing is we need to be focused on that this has brought back the discrimination against people with pre-existing conditions. That is fundamental that that be delivered as to why your congress member should not be voting
1: for this. You should lead with that because they've heard the other argument, so in lifetime annual limits, and basically say they're going to be held accountable if they do that and actually ask them to imagine you know, people in their district, if their kid get comes down, God forbid, with leukemia, if they are, if if the suddenly the the, the family is caused to be medically bankrupt, right, and the, and the and that there's their child can't get the care they need, whose fault that is? It will be Congressman X. I mean, they need, you need to paint a picture for them about how outraged you are, and to paint a picture that makes them worry not just about you, but a lot more of your constituents. But we don't want to lose sight on. The premiums themselves so we did a report this week at citizen action of wisconsin that showed on average in wisconsin a moderate income senior be asked to pay over eleven thousand dollars a year in premiums not counting copays and deductibles which will go up under the republican plan it's like a six hundred and fifty percent increase And so that got statewide uh, media coverage. You can go to our website, but there's a lot of press. You can just Google it. And so we need to bring that up. It discriminates against lower-income people and older people who aren't yet eligible for Medicare. And then it also radically restructures and to long-term care for seniors and people with disabilities. And, in fact, it's going to put states in the position of pitting grandma against kids' health care. And grandma's uh, law, home care versus uh, literally versus versus healthcare for kids and young families.
0: So yeah, we obviously uh, think it's very important that you contact your Congress member. So just a little uh, refresher: uh, that's your House member uh, that we need you to call, and the number to call, and you should call immediately upon listening to this podcast: eight six six four two six two six three one. So please call that number. You can be connected and hooked up with your actual member of Congress. Please get a call in uh, and let them know your feelings. So with that, we're going to take a little break here and we'll be right back. So welcome back and uh, to this uh, absolutely historic week. Um, so Robert, you mentioned uh, before we went to break that that we here at Citizen Action released a report this week that actually really got into this idea that somehow costs are going to be lower. They're helping people with costs, and that the reality of Ryan Care, Trump Care, whatever, you, however you want to put it, is that that costs are going to go up absolutely dramatically for for a lot of people, but in particular for lower income older folks. Tell, talk, tell us a little bit more about the report and its implications for uh, what's wrong with this bill.
1: Yeah, and we didn't. this did not look at Medicaid, so it should be understood that the massive restructuring of Medicaid, radical restructuring in this plan, is going to dramatically cut long-term care and badger care, so that'll affect seniors and younger people and lower-income people, uh, but they'll force the states to make the cuts down the road and try to uh, deny responsibility from Congress and from the president. Uh, what we looked at is... The marketplace, the Affordable Care Act marketplace, where they're replacing tax credits which are more generous under the Affordable Care Act, despite them campaigning on the idea that health care was too expensive, deductibles were too high, etc., under Obamacare. Uh, but they're not the, the Affordable Care Act tax credits are based on rationally, if your goal is for people to buy health coverage, the cost of health coverage in your area and your income and adjust appropriately.
0: And, and that's important. Remind listeners that healthcare costs are not the same, not only for individuals on basically based on what insurance you have, but where you live in the state, particularly here in Wisconsin. The research that we've done here at Citizen Action, that Robert and Kevin Kane have led up, has shown over time that we have massive disparities. Say, in the Eau Claire and Western Wisconsin area, shall we say, Sean Duffy's district, costs are much higher. So, this bill is going to hit them in a
1: much worse way. It's bad for everyone, but even worse in a higher cost area. And this is where you get to like character and intent. If you're really trying to to cover people, then you're taking into account what they can afford and what health insurance costs their area. If you're not, if you're just trying to have some kind of face-saving thing that you can claim is health care but not really your priority, then you do it the way they did. So you do
0: it the way they did if your priority is tax cuts for millionaires. And being able to have a fig leaf where you say,
1: oh, we did something for all that, though they don't really care to do it. So for the for uh, someone sixty to sixty four, they have a flat four thousand dollar tax credit. Doesn't matter what your income is. Doesn't matter what cost of health insurance in your area is. And so in higher cost areas like La Crosse, Wisconsin, uh, this a sixty four year old moderate income senior would be expected to make to pay fourteen thousand five hundred fourteen dollars a year in premiums. This doesn't count deductibles. This doesn't count copays. If they, it's more than half their income. Okay, and it's. Four, over fourteen thousand in Eau Claire. It's over. It's nearly thirteen thousand in Superior. You go down the list. This radio stations in the Milwaukee area, uh, that 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 battleground Wisconsin is broadcast on. It's eleven thousand nine hundred sixty-four dollars in the Milwaukee suburbs, and eleven thousand four hundred seventy-five dollars in the city in the county of Milwaukee. And down the cheapest place is Jamesville Beloit, where it's only for this moderate income senior seven thousand. $13, which is only a 313% increase on what that senior would pay under the Affordable Care Act. But the state average is $11,359 per year in premiums alone, not copays and deductibles. And what is the moral of the story here? They don't expect the 64-year-olds to be able to buy coverage at all. They have decided that they're going to be uninsured. Uh, but they're lying about it by claiming they have a health care plan that works for everyone. Paul Ryan said no one will be worse off. Paul, Donald Trump said everyone will be covered. There you go. So they don't care, clearly. So this report underscores and really puts you
0: know numbers here locally on the problem that certainly this week led to um, problems trying to get this passed. And and so there were efforts this week to try to do things to supposedly uh, soften the blow. But, uh, of course, Robert, the, what has been added is completely insu- uh, insufficient to cover these gaps in coverages. So if you hear over the weekend, uh, say this passes, that somehow they've done something to address this problem, not the case, I'm sure. I'm Address it maybe, but not really
1: actually solve this problem. Well, no. They, there's not, And the movement's the other way, going after essential health benefits and therefore re-legalizing pre-existing condition discrimination. Uh, And the broader thing here is that we just need to take a step back because progressives want to get into facts and details and policy, and the right is very good at saying we have our own policy, right, even while they do a bait and switch and the policy is not intended to do what they say it's supposed to do. uh, We just need to take a step back and think about conservative ideology in the 21st century. It is ill-equipped to deal with a problem like guaranteeing affordable health care to people. We have rapid inflation of medical costs, the cost of medical services every, each and every year, and prescription drugs, and it's, it goes higher and higher. We don't that None of their plans have to do with dealing with that fundamental problem, right? And so it's so expensive that not only can low-income folks not afford insurance, let alone actually paying for medical services out of pocket, but middle and even upper-middle-income people can't. Okay. And you have a situation where if you don't have good insurance at work, and that system's under stress because of this cost, okay. But if you don't have good insurance at work, you are not going to be able to get affordable health coverage unless our democracy creates the conditions to do it, period. And the problem with Paul Ryan is, and conservatives of Paul Ryan's ilk is, they don't want to admit that. Now, they could, it would be nice, just say they don't think it's the federal government's role. Then we could have an honest Democratic debate and the public could decide. But they know the public thinks otherwise. The majority of the public thinks the federal government should guarantee everyone has affordable coverage. And so what do they do? They do a bait and switch which is a fundamental threat to our democracy, and people should be angry that they're being lied to by these representatives, and they should be calling Congressman Sensenbrenner, Congressman Grothman. They're both in the listening area of the radio version of, of, of this show, and they should call the others in the state, like Congressman Gallagher and Congressman Duffy, and say, you are lying to us, okay? And what on earth is going on? Why don't you just admit that you think uh, that there are 24 million folks who don't deserve health care in the United States of America in the 21st century, because that's what how you're voting.
0: So I want to remind folks you can call at eight six six four two six two six three one, and you do need to call uh, if you're hearing this at all on Friday and the vote hasn't occurred in the House. You you got to call right away and get to your House member. If you're hearing this after the vote, uh, you need to call and contact your senator, Senator Johnson which we need to talk about here is he's been he's been kind of all over the place although the, lately he's been basically trashing uh the effort and sort of suggesting that he's going to be against this bill robert uh what's the latest on ron johnson other than of course again call ron johnson at 866-426-2631 but ron johnson he's been kind of an interesting uh, wild card on this as
1: at least as it goes within the uh, Republicans in the Senate Uh, Look, I mean, the whole Ron Johnson situation is fascinating. Uh, Kevin Kane, the Assistant National Wisconsin Organizing Director, and I actually had a meeting about a month ago with his legislative director that was remarkably positive and insightful. And this has now also been reflected in Senator Johnson's comments where he is saying it's going too fast. This will take a long time. You can't just end the Affordable Care Act without harming people and that you need to have a very structured negotiation with both Republicans and Democrats to figure out a new system. So, based on what he's saying, uh, he should be he should be voting no if this if this House bill gets to the Senate or any version gets to the Senate. The problem is is that all the people who make a living tracking U.S. senators at the national level do not mark Ron Johnson as a doubtful vote. They think he is yes for whatever was putting put in front of him. So it's an interesting question as to whether we by by calling the number Matt just read could get senator johnson to follow through on what he is saying which is highly cogent and reasonable uh, versus the assessment in washington that he's just a hard right guy and he's good and, he, and that he's, his vote's not really in doubt
0: did you want that number to call senator ron johnson that's 866-426-2631 call senator ron johnson robert what you said makes him sound a little bit like one of our friends that we like to talk about on this podcast, uh, the lion from Ripon, Luther Olson, who often on discussions of healthcare and Medicaid will sound like he's about to oppose something that his party's going to do. And then at the end of the day, he's right there and he votes for for whatever the Republicans are doing. In particular, uh, with Luther, it was around Medicaid. But uh...
1: oh, A number, number <laughs> of different Luther. There was, a, there was an incident that, that's all, that we've talked about in the program before where Luther Olson came out like a lion opposing some Walker policy, and they asked Walker in the hallway, what do you think? Oh, Luther will be with us in the end. And then, of course, once we got to the vote, Luther made no speeches, was silent, and voted with the governor. So that's the question. Is Ron Johnson just giving the lion's roar prior to the vote, or is he serious? <laughs>
0: Well, we need to we need to hold them to it, and it's very important. And I think we need to talk a little bit, and we'll do this when we uh, uh, after the next break. Talk a little bit more about the Senate and going forward. And Robert, I want to get your 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 comments and ideas around this whole idea of how the heck did we get here right like seven and a half years now the gop's been running around declaring that they're going to repeal and replace obamacare we believe they've done it at least 52 times and now when they actually get the actual vote right they're in sort of gridlock and so i want to talk a little bit more about that when we get back but we got to take a quick break we'll be right back So welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. So we mentioned earlier in this podcast, we're in this strange position of recording on Friday, which is not our normal time on Thursday, but it's also before the House has voted on the health care bill, which is our primary topic. So, um, again, we really want to encourage you to contact your members of Congress on this bill, and you can do that at 866-426-2631. So, Robert, before we went away, I wanted i was commenting about this how did we get here kind of situation right where republicans ran on this for us you know been talking about this for seven and a half years and huge election issue and even right after the election you know we're gonna take this up first we're gonna run full forward but yet they've got a plan that seems It's almost remarkable that this is what they've come up with, and this is what they're leading with.
1: Explain how How did we get here? How did they they get here? So it's not a surprise that they didn't have a replacement plan for seven years. They don't actually believe in one. And so you can interpret the division between Paul Ryan and the Freedom Caucus as the division between those who want a fig leaf, Ryan, to claim they did something around health care, but... They're not serious about it, versus those the Freeman caucus at least honest enough to admit the highly unpopular position that they think we should actually throw 24 million people off health care and that everyone's on their own so, in the 21st so century. So I
0: wanna I want to ask follow-up on that because I think that's right. But why? Why this bill, right? And why Paul Ryan? Why why do you put Paul Ryan? I mean, we we're calling it Ryan care a lot because he like He doesn't this plan doesn't look like anything what a conservative would would support for health care given what they've been talking about, right? In terms of their what they said were their main critiques of the Affordable Care Act. And knowing where the conservatives were gonna be, why would you run out with this thing that you knew was gonna have problems from both the left and the right? Like it doesn't really actually appease any one of those sides. And and it's really all of sort of the makings of the you know the fundamentals of Obamacare, uh, without actually overdoing it. I, it reminds me of when I think uh, one of the American automakers put a very large frame on top of the uh, of the neon, and the bigger car just couldn't quite handle that frame, and and so the car didn't last very long. Um, was that the PT Cruiser? Yes, the yeah, PT Cruiser. Excellent. Okay. It was on a neon frame, right? Like, yeah. come on, right? Like, anyways, so. this just seems like a fundamental kind of mistake that in some ways surprises me a little bit from the Republicans.
1: Well, there's a dynamic interaction between what their ideology is, what they'd really like to do, and who funds them, right? The largest corporations in America and the wealthiest Americans, the elite. They like to call Democrats the elite. They're the elite, okay? Um, And They're they're politicians, so they're sensitive to where the public is. And so there's this pressure to meet the public demand that they be able to get access to healthcare in the 21st century and the ideology that we want to do something else with the money, and we don't actually believe government should do that. And so then you have this dynamic between ones that just want to run out on what they believe, the Freedom Caucus, versus those who want to play games and bait and switch, which is what Paul Ryan and Donald Trump have both decided to do. I mean, conservatives in our century vehemently opposed Medicare, vehemently opposed Medicaid, opposed their expansion for the most part in most cases over the years because they expanded far beyond how they started under Lyndon Johnson, uh, and uh, were de- did not care at all during the early aughts uh, when we had rampant discrimination based on pre existing conditions and huge run-up in health insurance prices. They weren't running on ter- health care, talking about health care. And so the problem is, is that they're on progressive ground on this issue. And a lot of the policy prescriptions they put forward, they don't believe in because uh, President Obama made the mistake. And the people around him believe if we adopt some conservative ideas from the Heritage Foundation, then Republicans will, that Republicans have supported for years, then they will support us. And guess what? They didn't. They turned on a dime, like the hive instinct, right, against it and started attacking it as socialized medicine and a threat to everything we believe in. And here's fundamentally what it's about they don't believe in using government for the purposes of creating economic and social justice and general social welfare. They believe in using it for other things like building up a Pentagon, uh, but they don't believe in violating basic civil rights in a lot of areas, but they don't believe in that. And so they took the Affordable Care Act as a fundamental threat because they thought not only did it expand the government role in health care, it would be used to, to use, it, use government for other uh, purposes, other social justice purposes. And that's why they other government. The government is some alien separate force. The government, the government deciding this or that for me. And it's like anti-democratic because what is the government in this country uh, in the first large-scale democracy in human history? It's us. It's our democracy. How it could be it could be othered. And if we remove its agency, then all the power is within in healthcare, care, with health insurance companies, with pharmaceutical companies. We don't have any individual power against them, right, against gigantic hospital chains that are considered to consolidate and act like uh, in a for-profit, non-profit name-only quite often. And so... If, you're going, if people are going to have power, they need to use their democracy to create a structure where they can get things like health care for themselves and their families. And so the conservatives, a little more than Democrat, mainline Democrats, understand that this is a battle for the future of the country and the meaning of our democracy. And that's why they're so all in and why they have gone all out for the last seven years to sabotage this law every which way. And why now they're essentially uh, throwing themselves in their own petard. I mean, they are risking the entire Trump presidency right now over this bizarrely horrendous plan that they've cooked up, uh, that they're trying to force through in a matter of of weeks. All right. You
0: mentioned the Trump presidency. I want to get your thoughts on its role in all of this, right, and how we ended up here. Uh, In particular, it not passing on Thursday night, which no matter what happens on Friday, right, this thing passes, it's definitely demonstrated that we have massive fissures within the Republican Party uh, whatever there appeared to be in terms of uh, Paul Ryan seeming to be getting along better with Trump uh, this has definitely started to expose those fissures and we have Trump in general right the Trump presidency not exactly off to a flying start while it's very clear um, Trump this is Trump's uh, support amongst his core sort of supporters has not waned. If anything, it might have, it's intensified. But Trump's overall numbers certainly are not good, and the situation that's been going on with Russia has certainly weakened him at some level. And do you? I mean, do you see this at all? It, how, how does the broader stuff that's going on with the whole Trump presidency impact at all, if any, in this healthcare discussion? It's had it's a huge out.
1: impact. The Russian scandal has weakened him. The fact that you have Congress people of his own party feeling perfectly fine with bucking him and the house leadership on health care in this way shows tremendous weakness uh so does the fact that he's essentially out front with not his health care plan but paul ryan's health care plan and so that has given it less credibility, less force. And there's a sense among... I think there's probably a sense among uh, P- uh, congressional Republicans who are still holding out and not supporting this uh, that this isn't really Donald Trump's plan and that he's going to change on a dime anyway and support something else. So why should they kowtow to what Paul Ryan has wanted to do for years? So in some ways,
0: this has um, really weakened Paul Ryan in uh, in terms of his ability to govern. Do you, do you sense at all that this could... Put his speakership at all in trouble, uh, or or can you know? I mean, this this is a this is huge, right? Like this isn't just some piece of legislation that they're stumbling on. I mean, this thing is
1: been being branded as Ryan Care. Well, the alt right media is out for his head, and we know the president uh, watches it closely and tweets about things he learns there all the time, like the allegation that President Obama wiretapped him, just to name a few, right? Just one of them. And so, yeah, there's a dynamic here with Ryan is not their guy, and they'd be happy to get rid of him, and they'll need a scapegoat if this doesn't go through. And uh, it's not just whether it goes through the House today, it's whether it goes through the House again once it gets back from the Senate in radically different form, because uh, you're you're, you're more moderate, quote-unquote moderate, what stands for moderates now. Republicans in the Senate weren't going to take it the way it was before they stripped essential health benefits out.
0: Well, and the reason I'm harking or harping, excuse me, on Paul Ryan is obviously a lot of our listeners in uh, the fifteen ten market are in Paul Ryan's district, and he's increasingly becoming more vulnerable. And admittedly, he has a district that's been gerrymandered in such a way that it's going to be harder to defeat him, but. He's becoming a lot more unpopular, and so going forward, uh, we're going to continue to talk about Paul Ryan. I know Jorna; it's it's a bummer not having her here this week because she leads our Paul Paul Ryan watch, but. I think this is one of the side impacts, no matter what happens on healthcare. if you talk about sort of political horse racing within the party, is what's going to happen to Paul Ryan on the back end of this, and, and also uh, Reince Priebus over there, Reince, or however we're pronouncing him this day, um, over there at, at, at the National Republican Committee. I think they are in some real risk here of being highly margini- marginalized out of this, disc- this, well, this the- uh, whole debate.
1: Recent polling shows 56% of the public opposes this plan, 17% support. So you're getting to the bitter enders. And 74% of voters oppose the Medicaid cuts in the plan, including a majority of Republicans. So it's hard. The constituency for this is true believers who believe whatever Paul Ryan tells them, basically. Well,
0: we got to take a break.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Well, welcome back. and uh, We have big news. Uh, we actually have waited to record the last section of our show until hopefully finding out whether the House moved the bill or not. And we have exciting news that it looks like the House bill has been withdrawn. It is 2.45 Central Time here Friday and The news appears quite good, so it it sounds like Trump and Ryan have agreed that they're going to withdraw the bill at Donald Trump's request after an effort uh, going to the floor, lots of impassioned speeches, but apparently uh, more rats kept jumping off the ship, and Robert, Trump care, Ryan care? Looks like it might be dead.
1: Uh, Well, at least greatly postponed, (laughs) further than just a vote, right? Uh, so I don't know. They won't give up the effort, I don't think, but they're going to completely collect themselves. Uh, The listeners will have a better idea because they will know more than we do. We're doing this just, you know, literally this was announced five minutes ago, Uh, but it was high drama all day. Uh, Ryan, it was announced, had gone over to the White House in the early afternoon to tell Trump he didn't have the votes, and he was sent back, allegedly, according to media and and Twitter, uh, to, to go forward and then Shortly before the vote was supposed to take place, maybe about twenty minutes before, suddenly, and we were listening. Suddenly, the the, uh, the the chair at the House of Representatives stopped the debate and said, "We're going into recess," and they just went away, and that was it. So clearly, they didn't have the votes. There are rumors they were they were hemorrhaging votes actually, and they might have been forty point votes down. Uh, you'll, the listeners will know better than we because they'll be, they'll have m- more time to to get all that new news and reportage in. Uh, so. We listened to the debate, and it was—so we were listening to the debate all day, the panel was, and quite frankly, it was amazing how vacant the Republican side was. All they got is their talking points, uh, which are are kind of a fabricated— paper mache collection of lies about what's going on with the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare compared to the healthcare system. And literally incoherent, could not really explain and why this plan was better. I mean, literally, there was literally no explanation of what was good about this plan or how it worked.
0: No, you the noticeable thing throughout almost all the speeches was, as you mentioned, these talking points that seemed to be about six months to a year old and really just all about failings or shortcomings of Obamacare, which certainly goes al- does not make the point for this bill, because I think everyone accepts Obamacare had its issues. Uh, but as you said, Robert, they were completely unable to say anything positive, truly, about how this bill was going to address the coverage, in particular address the 24 million Americans who were going to lose their health care because of this bill or to address what I think a number of Democrats really hammered away upon, that this really wasn't a health care bill. This was a massive tax cut and redistribution of wealth from regular people to millionaires and billionaires. And uh, ultimately,
1: it couldn't uh, stand the light of day, even if that day was one day. And we definitely got alt-facts. They never answered that. They just called, referred to tax cuts as if... They love to do that, Republicans, as if to suggest that their listeners are getting the tax cuts right, not their actual funders, the uh, top tenth of 1%. Uh, but you had some little nods towards alt-reality. The Democrats had a neat little trick because they were going back and forth between, uh, how, you know, uh, speakers that were organized by the Democrats and the Republicans. And the, the Democratic, you know, uh, manager of the debate, each time a Republican ended because it would go to the Democrats, would announce... How many people would lose their health coverage in that Republican's district that just defended the bill? And so ev- eventually, we had a nod towards alt reality because one of them said, "These alleged facts—I mean, these are the facts, like I mean, that are very well established that are based on the, C- the Congressional Budget Office report." Uh, I thought that. Uh, it was interesting that you had tales of woe that sounded like they were progressive about people not being able to afford their deductibles and co-pays and, and just coming to the office and saying they couldn't do it. But then, of course, no explanation of why it helps them if you make it worse, which is uh, if you take $1.2 trillion off health coverage and give it to the wealthiest Americans and drug and pharmaceutical companies.
0: Yeah, no, you mentioned uh, the calling out of how many people would lose their cover uh, coverage. This was extraordinarily effective because, uh, one, it called out what well, first of all it made the republicans completely uncomfortable like <laughs> almost every one of them had some kind of comment defensive comment in their speeches about that number that they knew was coming and what it did is it really laid bare this whole bull argument they have about freedom right oh that means fifty-five thousand of my constituents will have the freedom not to purchase health care. Was like even like one of the kind of responses, which is completely ineffective, right? It shows that this argument that these people are lacking freedom—it's not true—and somehow it exposes this lie that there's freedom to choose not to have health coverage, which we all know is not why people choose not to
1: get coverage. We did hear th- stuff about being forced to buy a product you don't need, <laughs> right? I don't know the gentleman, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but a kind of a backbench congressman from Louisiana who's a doctor and says he serves a lot of people, poor people in the Mississippi Delta, started talking about how the coverage was no good and people couldn't get what they needed, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, what does the American health care plan do about that other than make it worse? And a lot of these folks are probably Medicaid eligible, I would think. And, of course, this guts Medicaid. We did get some truth from uh, Glenn Grothman, the very ultra right, newish congressman, who literally got there and praised how we're finally taking on Medicaid. Most of them are smart enough not to make the argument exactly that way. But we know that Grothman, as a state senator and a, and a state representative here, of course, was an enemy of Medicaid. Uh, but that, I mean, what was interesting what was, is also that we didn't get the people making the decision in some regards because. It was managed by the floor managers of each party, and therefore the one group of people that were not called up to speak were the Freedom Caucus folks who were voting against it, or the moderates that were voting against it. And so we only heard from Democrats and from Republicans who supported Ryan and Trump.
0: Yeah, and that explains why a lot of the testimony on the Republican side was pretty weak, because most of the folks that are supporting this are doing it clearly holding their nose, and the people who are truly passionate about this are either you know, supporters of, of the legislation or these, this Freedom Caucus, which has certainly brought passion to the desire to remove people from health care. Um, so, Robert, we talked in the first 33 minutes of this show about um, what—one po- of the things we talked about was what possibly could this mean for Paul Ryan. Um, we know Paul Ryan represents— Uh, district here in wisconsin that is it's been gerrymandered a little bit messed with where beloit was taken out and
1: right-wing milwaukee suburbs were put in were
0: put in and and so the district now is is solidly republican but it's not crazy republican but enough where it would require pretty much everything to align to make it happen so i don't ask so much about like his future as being able to win the seat although i'd be interested if you have thoughts on that but this has to put his House speakership in jeopardy that he, I mean, this is a complete crash and burn.
1: Well, the question is, he still has the majority of the caucus with him. So would they replace him with someone more congenial to the Freedom Caucus or to Trump? And the question is, who is that person, right? I know that the majority leader, Kevin McCarthy, was unable to become speaker. He was seen as too connected to Boehner and to establishment. So I'm not sure. It has to be the right figure. Um, but obviously Trump would like to have a real Trumpite in there. They're not comfortable with Ryan. Um, I think that we've seen people uh, lose seats in recent years who are in leadership and backlashes, so there'd have to be a ba- incredible backlash, and we still don't know how the health care fight is going to occur, Take uh, you know how it's going to play out. Uh, I, I'm not an expert in congressional strategy, but I assume they could try starting the bill in the Senate instead of the House, or they'd come back with a different bill, or they could have the Trump administration could write the bill and try to move it through both houses. I don't know. There are probably other options I'm not thinking of that that they're on top of. So we'll know, and the listeners may already know, what the plan B is here. It doesn't seem like they're going to try to pass this bill. And so they're going to have to go back to the April recess, which means there's going to be another opportunity for the Democrat upsurge that's, that's uh, really, create the situation in the first place, to continue to hammer these members of Congress, uh, particularly the, these Republican members of Congress. And so it, it's very interesting to see, I did see Trump tweeted out some sort of uh, sign of support for Ryan that he didn't that even if they lose, he was still for Ryan being speaker. But that might be one of the like one of those votes of confidence. That uh, you know, say an athletic, or gives a college, or, or, or football, or basketball coaches is usually the kiss of death, right? Yeah, yeah, the vote yeah. of confidence. And I think uh, Georgetown
0: <laughs> gave that to Thompson earlier in the week. So, <laughs> um, look, you 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 brought up the Senate again, folks. This democratic uprising is why this stopped. So, congratulations to every one of you that took the time to get involved in this fight, and it is not over. I want to encourage you to, to use that number I've been giving out all show, and please call Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin's office and remind them that we expect that you continue to oppose this. Obviously, Tammy Baldwin's been a leader on this, but Ron Johnson definitely needs to hear from you about this and make sure that he knows that if the Senate has any ideas that we oppose this. So make sure you do it, and again... Congratulations, all of you who made calls, got involved, because it looks like we've been successful, at least for the time being, holding
1: off uh, what what obviously would have been very devastating. Won two battles this week, not the war. And so the number to call is 866-426-2631. And by all means, also call Senator Ron Johnson who's been saying the right things. But no, as we said earlier in the show, no one seems to believe him in D.C. So let's try to hold him to his promise that he, w- he would never vote for a bill like this and wants a much slower process in the next year that is thoughtful and bipartisan. So, thanks a lot for listening this week. We will be.
0: We encourage you to come back next week. We'll talk a little bit more about this, and uh, certainly see exactly what played out over the weekend and early next week. But again, we want to thank everybody for listening this week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.